But as soon as I hit the bottom in 55 feet of water, I look to my left and about a 12 footer male cruises by, um, probably 20 yards away. And he's just, you just see his tail, his coffin just slowly moving. He's just cruising and he goes up over this ridge and my brother-in-laws look at me and they're like, oh, you know, kind of give that oh shit shark look. And I don't know what went through my head, but all I could think about was where's my GoPro? I might never ever get the chance again. That's Eric Anderson describing a close encounter of the white shark kind. And you're listening to this Ocean Life podcast. Hey there, everybody. Hope you're all doing well here in the month of July, whether you're in the Southern Hemisphere winter time or Northern Hemi summer. Hope everyone is staying healthy and getting in the water as much as you can. Here in Santa Cruz, we've had the gnarliest red tides lately, so the ocean's been a bit uninviting, but some nice south swell has been making it very worthwhile. Now, day to day in the ocean, we all have sometimes crazy experiences and sometimes epic experiences, and sometimes a mix of both. And that's why two young brothers started Crepic, an ocean lifestyle apparel company that's purpose-built to encourage each of us to get in the water and live a crazy and epic lifestyle in our own way. I'm stoked for them to be a sponsor of the podcast. Check them out at livecrepic.com and use the coupon code OCEAN20 to get 20% off any purchase of their rad hats, shirts, and more. Now, let me ask you this. Do you love your surfboard and paddleboard straps? Uh, I'm not afraid to admit that I do. The monster straps for my good friends at Mile 22 are so strong, so long, and so easy to use, it's insane. I've had four pairs for years now and never go on a surf dive or paddle trip without them. Go to mile22.com to learn more and grab a pair of monster straps for 15% off when you enter the coupon code TOL15. Now, today, we talk with Eric Anderson, who checked out of the military life and into an ocean life here in the waters of Northern California. Eric takes us through his time deployed around the world as a United States Marine to finding his true calling underwater through his wife and family. With a commendable obsession for freediving and spearfishing, something near and dear to my heart, Eric takes us through diving California's Channel Islands, white sharks, today's hunting abalone and pursuing fish of all shapes and sizes along the very epic Big Sur coast. Throughout, Eric provides a great perspective on conservation, limiting our take from the ocean, and dedication to introducing the next generation to the ocean and his own kids find that connection that we all feel. Our conversation begins today around one random day a few weeks back where we met each other at a top secret dive spot. Dude, it was cool bumping into you, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks ago down in, I think, our mutual uh, heaven on earth place of a big sir and then uh, having you reach out to me afterwards and uh here we are talking man yeah yeah it was a good trip um interesting enough that that day you saw us uh, a good buddy of mine Aiden brown shot uh you know just close to eight pound cab and he's uh written a couple articles for spearing magazine he just found out tonight that he'll uh have another article submitted in the august issue so he's all super stoked on that Oh, wow. That's rad. Because I remember when I was coming in, my kids hitting baseballs at the house. That's great. Um, when I was coming in and uh, you guys were walking up the cliff there and we kind of had, we chatted for like 10 seconds. He, he I saw that fish. It looked freaking Mondo. So that eight pounder is a good, a good cab. 
Yeah, he um last year in the same day, uh back to back drops, shot a seven and a half pounder, and then he uh popped one pushing eleven. Oh jeez. And so we've been uh we've been hunting that area hard looking for that state record. <laughs> no, what is what is a state record? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. I think huh. it's over fifteen. Um yeah. that's a yeah. that's a big cab. All hell. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, man. I love those guys too. They're like my favorite. I just love everything about them. I just love the way they look. I love the way they taste, yeah. the different colors, you know, like they're just the raddest little fish. I think they're uh, you know, on the top of my list when it comes to an eating fish, just based on their diet. I mean, they eat oh. crab, abalone, octopus, everything you would want in one package. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I, we, I shot one uh, a couple of years ago, south of there, Plaska Creek, you know, that area yeah. and uh, came right back up to the campground. Started cutting it up, opened it up and it had this little mini abalone that was like, you know, four inches. Yeah. And it looked very fresh, like super fresh. And so <laughs> we decided to try to, to cook to cook it up because who <laughs> just to claim that we ate the abalone out of a cabazon <laughs> stomach, cooked it up, but then took like two bites and it's tasted just funky enough where it just kind of stopped right there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've I've shot um, you know, cabs that are around 20 inches and pulled six little one and a half inch abalone out of its gut. Um yeah. some of them are whole brand new and some of the shells are almost fully polished because they've been breaking down. It's pretty cool. It's so cool. Yeah, no, man, I could talk about those fish and all the other fun fish that we're, <laughs> we look for down there all day long. And I'm, we'll come back around to that for sure. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, look, we're talking about spear fishing. We're talking about, you know, Big Sur, which is, you know, in our mutual backyard here in Northern California near Santa Cruz. Um, and, you know, really today with you, man, like you, you have, I'm always super curious about like, the military <laughs> let's yeah. go right there because you know because i always look at especially like the marines which you spent five years as because it's like you get these little doses of water time and i always imagine like being in full-on marine mode doing training or deployed or whatever and seeing like epic waves or a red kelp bed or something that's just like so ocean oriented but you got to do your job and you can't quite do it you know <laughs> yeah happened. yeah you know it's funny is you know when i was in the marine corps um i didn't get in the ocean much you know i did a little snorkeling here and there around la jolla but it wasn't until i met my wife and uh her dad that really just you know got me into diving you know um I was in the Marines from 2007 to 2012, and I grew up in Northern California in Chico. And after high school, living with buddies and not really having a plan, you know, school wasn't on the agenda for me. Um, so after about a year of kind of bouncing around town, I realized, well, I'm going to have to make a decision here and figure something out. So I jumped off the deep end and joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah, that is the deep end. <laughs> Especially during that time, which is a gnarly time. Afghanistan, all that stuff was just cracking yeah. off. I mean, um, I really didn't give it much thought. I just uh, joined the Marine Corps infantry, went to boot camp within, you know, three weeks, really adjoining. Went to the School of Infantry, wow. which is an eight-week course. And while there, you know, I made the choice, well, if I'm going to be in the, in the Marine Infantry, I might as well be a heavy machine gunner. That sounds great. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, so took that route um and then you you get you go right to your unit and you start training so i was uh sent wow. to nine fifth marines at camp pendleton california right right down by san clemente at trussell's 
Yeah. You know, great that that spot right there. So we we would run all the way out to Trussell's, get in the ocean and run back. And I think it was a 13 mile round trip, but surfers would always look at us like we we're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. Totally. But as you mentioned, like ocean wasn't really on your radar at that at that point. Um yeah. But you saw it a little bit, had a little taste being down there in Oceanside. It's just a rad spot, you know, and then you you shipped off some pretty gnarly places. I mean, you traveled the world a little bit. I mean, tell us about some of the spots that you went and visited, you know, in the Marines. Yeah, uh, my first deployment in 2008 and 2000, rolled into 2009, I think, um, was on what's called a MEW, Marine Expeditionary Unit. So I flew over to Okinawa, Japan, got on ship with the United States Navy. And then uh, traveled around quite a bit and trained with various uh, countries' military. So we went to Australia, Thailand, the Philippines, South Korea, um, based out of Okinawa, uh, Japan at the time. And I think that wrapped up, uh, if I remember correctly, October 2009. And then from there, it was really training full speed ahead for uh, 2010 deployment to Helmand Province, Afghanistan, in the Sangin District. So gnarly yeah we replaced the brits there who had been there for about four years and had heavy heavy casualties and then we replaced them and um you know at the time took on a mission that didn't seem achievable but as uh, the marine corps does we accomplished it did take heavy casualties lost a couple buddies along the way but you know after the deployment do your job you come back uh and you uh pick back up where you left off yeah yeah so you came back to the states and then you stuck around in the marines for a little bit until you met a girl sound like <laughs> yeah yeah you know a lot of, i'm sure a lot of young men's stories start with well i met this woman <laughs> <laughs> those are usually but, the best uh, stories <laughs> uh, yeah i grew up in chico uh, if you know the beer sierra nevada then you know chico well and yeah. um growing up there was home on pre-deployment leave and met my current wife marissa at a local bar called Riley's. So we met at a bar uh, and then uh, deployed, kept in touch uh, by internet and Facebook when I could. And when I got back, we picked right back up and that was April, 2011. And we got married in September, 2011, been together since. So Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. And so at some point you got, you made the decision to, to eject out of the military and kind of resume like civilian life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just didn't seem like uh, <clears throat> the lifestyle for my wife and I respected that. And she gave me an ultimatum. It was her or the Marines. And, you know, I gave it that 48 hour thought process and chose her. <laughs> yeah, good move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. And so then you guys came back up, up this way, which is kind of where you've you know, settled roots, which is, you know, where your wife's from here in the Santa Cruz area. So from there, I mean, sound like, again, you weren't super ocean oriented at the time you you're out of the military, you're back here doing some school and stuff, but it sounded like there was you know, part of her family like her father-in-law was really instrumental in kind of getting, helping you form your connection with the ocean. Yeah. You know, you know, the word legend gets thrown around, you know, maybe loosely sometimes, but this guy is just really one of them. He, um, he's been diving for 50 years. Marissa grew up in Kauai. And, uh, and he was an avid diver, uh, fisherman there. He grew up in San Jose, but he's been diving since the 60s. Um, he's got a core group of buddies. A couple of them have, you know, some pretty significant records for 10-inch abalone. Like, you know, one of them, the uh, most yeah. in the world. 
But uh, yeah, you know, when I met him, it just set off a spark listening to his stories and the way he described the ocean. And Marissa picked up on that. So in January 2013, she got me scuba certified. And I think a lot of a lot of folks get into diving through scuba. You know, it's you take the course, you get introduced to the ocean. Um, it's a little slower pace than you know, free diving and spear fishing sometimes. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I saw a sea lion underwater and I was just hooked. And it's uh, it's been on like Gangbuster since then. <laughs> Wow. So describe that experience. Cause that's, you know, as we were chatting before we started the podcast, you know, there's like this connection that we all make with the ocean. Sometimes you don't remember it. Like when you're two years old, like me, it just was always there. Other people, they find it later in life or at some point, you know, and I, I love that story. So, I mean, just describe that. Like what, what was it about that event seeing a sea lion, which now you see hundreds of them, you've seen thousands of them yeah. in your career since, but that was that one time. I mean, what was it? that how'd that go down where it just like clicked for you yeah i remember it crisp in my mind you know i grew up snorkeling and stuff in northern california creeks and rivers so i was familiar with the gear and um when i got in the water at del monte to do my checkout dive we got about 25 30 feet and you've been there before there's sand dollar beds there's some eel grass beds and you know i'm looking at this stuff on the ground there's like a little fish here and i see some sand dollars and I felt this whoosh, you know, come by the right side of my face. And, you know, second time in the ocean, I'm like, what the, what the hell is that? <laughs> and uh, I look up and it's this big female sea lion. At the, I didn't know it was female at the time, but I know now. Um, and she got, she came in for another pass and got within six, eight inches of my face. And our wow. eyeballs just locked. Huh. And there's that split second where you're just like, holy crap, this is not. This isn't like seeing a deer. This is different. Right. Um, and I was just hooked from then. Like right away, I was like, let's get back in the water. Why are we done? <laughs> Fill my tank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so rad. I know there's something like really magical about that, that like time freezes interaction with an animal in the water, yeah. you know, and that intelligence you see that they're like, they're tripping out on you as much as you're tripping out on them. And, it's it's freaking crazy. I mean, sea lions, and that's interesting because those guys don't really check you out too much. They'll kind of yeah. buzz by you and blow bubbles, and they're gone. But like the harbor seals, they'll come in you, they'll come at you, they'll just chill with you a little bit, you know. But that's, that's kind of cool. You got an interaction with with the sea lion like that. You know, it's funny is um, over the years diving all over, you know, Santa Cruz and down Monterey Carmel area, seen a ton of sea lions. I've I've had one, you know, random. Uh, interaction with a big bull down at the Channel Islands that was oh, yeah. a little gnarly, but actually my gnarliest encounter has been with a harbor seal. Um, really? Yeah. There's one who cruises all over the west side and around Steamer Lane. He's got one eye, and no way. Uh, he's a lot darker than the rest. I think he's old grandpa of the reef or something. But he has um, he's come after my stringer multiple times, um, and I've seen him. You know, all over the west side between, you know, cows and the bridges. He's, if you see a one eyed harbor seal, look out. <laughs> really? Huh. I don't think I've seen that guy. There's other one. I've had it, definitely harbor seals attack my stringer, you know, um, but not that guy. I got to keep my eye out for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you get scuba certified and you're like, okay, just this new world opens up. I mean, literally and figuratively for you. And from there you proceed to knock down a bunch of water time. I mean, again, yeah. you have your father-in-law and he's all about it. 
your wife's supportive. So you're getting a lot of water time. You mentioned going down to Santa Rosa Island, which is in California's Channel Islands, like my favorite places in the world are out there. Santa Cruz Island. I mean, it's just like, I love car. I love Big Sur and I love those places. It's incredible. So talk about diving out there. Cause that's some rugged stuff. Like Santa Rosa is out there. Super sharky. You have yep. pictures on your Instagram of seeing sharks in the water. So talk about your time out there. Cause you had like over a hundred plus dives. So you know that spot pretty well. Yeah. You know, and uh, when I got certified in, in 2013, uh, my father-in-law had been going on a trip on the peace forever since the boat. Uh, has been around through multiple captains since the 80s. And yeah. every year they do a bug trip the weekend before Thanksgiving called Bubble Fest. It's the same crew, 25 you know, men and women that have been diving for 30 years. And we always hit Rosa and shoot for Talcott. And um, it's interesting, over the last four or five years, we've definitely seen an increase in the, the white shark presence. It seems now there's three or four resident sharks in the 12 to 16-foot range cruising. Wow. Uh, I assume they are, you know, cutting that deep channel going back and forth in between Miguel and then Talcott. But it was uh, 2018, My, me and both my brother-in-laws went out off the Bower anchor line. And this is, you know, one of those stories where I was really glad I was on scuba. <laughs> but as soon as I hit the bottom in 55 feet of water, I looked to my left and about a 12-footer male cruises by. Um probably 20 yards away and he's just you just see his tails coddlefin just slowly moving he's just cruising and he goes up over this ridge and my brother-in-laws look at me and they're like oh, you know kind of give that oh shit shark look and i don't know what went through my head but all i could think about was where's my gopro I have to get video of this. Like, I might never ever get the chance again so i get the gopro out you know, pop up over this reef and watch them kind of hover above these divers. I don't see them. And I oh, can no way. circling around. So I sat on the backside of this reef on the top, kind of sat back on my knees and watched him for a bit. And when he came back around, I was able on four passes to get some really good of him. And then when he kind of just cruised off, you know, I was like, all right, I got 850 pounds. The boat's literally above me. Um, time to go up so it was yeah i was in the water with him for about 35 40 minutes watching him and a lot of guys didn't see him they're looking for bugs and cracks and he swam right over the top <laughs> that's crazy man so you're basically watching this thing just sort of scope out everybody like real curious yeah he was um God, that's so you cool. know it's like that uh animal interaction you were talking about i didn't feel threatened um yeah and you know i'm not a shark expert i don't you know i I don't swim with sharks. This was random, but it was an encounter, and I wanted to take the opportunity because I felt the risk was mitigated. I did not feel threatened by them. Yeah. Oh, that's so hot, man. I mean, like, I've been doing all kinds of stuff in the water forever. I've never seen one even on the surface, you know. And but as you say, man, it's like if they if they're letting you see them they're likely not going to come after you. I mean, I think, right. I mean, they're yeah, like full yeah. attack ambushed style. So it's like, he's creeping around, you know, he could, of course he could make a turn to come at you, but for the most part, he's not in hunt mode. If he was in hunt yeah. mode, he, he wouldn't be just cruising by you. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And, and, and he didn't even give me any interest until I was interested in him, you know, yeah. if I hadn't, you know, followed him, he probably would have just kept cruising. 
but it was just awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So talk about like looking for lobsters out there. I mean, cause that's so much fun to do. I mean, you've been doing it so much. What is there like a, what's your personal best lobster you got out there? My best bug is just shy of 10 pounds. I think it was like nine and nine pounds, 11 ounces, something like that. Bouncing around, nice. you know, the scale, wow. but um, no, Talcott's a great spot because the navigation is really easy. Um, all the reefs run parallel shore. So, you know, if you're running perpendicular, uh, depending on your, your azimuth, you're either going towards the island or away. Um, but the thing with bug diving is, you know, you got to be familiar with the kind of structure they're looking for. And then if you don't see bugs, move quick, move on. Or if you do see bugs, but you know you can't get them, move on. Uh, that's, right. that's really how you become productive out there because you can mm. start moving and covering some ground for 25, 30 yards. And not see another rock pile. <laughs> right. Or making yep. burning air. <laughs> exactly. Have you free dive out there and like spearfish on breath? Uh, I haven't had the opportunity at the islands. Yep. But uh, shortly after I got scuba certified, I got introduced to ab diving. Uh, oh, yeah. And that became uh, crack for me. <laughs> I don't know. Just how full obsession, that. full obsessive uh, compulsive. Uh, it was just a hardcore <laughs> obsession, uh, staying up all night, prepping gear, um, pulling dive trips, uh, leaving Scotts Valley at 7.30 at night, driving up to the North Coast, what we call the Lost Coast, near Shelter Cove, and uh, waking up at 5 a.m., diving all day till 4 or 5 and driving all the way back. <laughs> oh, that's hardcore, man. So what yeah. was it about that? What was it about ab diving? Because again, it's like like we're talking about lobster. It's it's there's an element of you know you're in cracks, you're looking around. Uh, there's that. It's a it's similar like that. But what about yeah. it just hooked you so 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 well? You know they call it red treasure, and um, there was something about abalone that appealed to me more so than any other game that I pursued. And you know it, it's not always about the take. Uh, the experience, you know, matters a lot, but yeah. with abs, it was just, um, I think I, you know, I got real fired up by my father-in-law and his buddies. They've been doing it for 30 years. Um, his, my father-in-law, Phil McReynolds, his really good buddy, one of his best friends, Dwayne DiNucci, uh, he's got over 400 tens. He's got the most in the world. And this oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, meeting these guys and diving and diving with them and going to the spots um it is just amazing uh wow. it, it was just a hook of you know you never know what's around the next corner uh over the next boulder that 11 incher could be there uh yeah right the, the draws there <laughs> yeah so spending so much time up there too and with some legends as you mentioned and i'll definitely use that term for those guys who've been doing <laughs> at it so long with records like that i mean what do you what did you learn about abs? I mean, is there a, is there a, a ta is there a strategy for the big ones, like deeper cracks, deeper water, or is it again, like you mentioned, you might just turn a corner and six feet of water and see a freaking you yeah. know, 11 inches sitting there. What, what, what did you uh, find? All you that? Know, learning from those guys and knowing um, what to look for. The best advice I got from Dwayne was, and he has a little YouTube video that describes this. So I am quoting him a bit, but when you look at the water, Think about where other divers would go. You know, most guys are going to go in the 15 to 20 foot range. They're going to swim down and start like looking at rocks. But no one stops, you know, in the white, in the surf zone to look at mm -hmm. boulders. No one goes left where the clay bank is making the water look like crap. 
Well, that's most likely where the ads are going to be that either haven't been picked or where the big ones have had an opportunity to grow because no one's willing to dive it. Right. You got to be willing to die by a braille, uh, make a 30 drop and not know you're on the bottom till your bar hits, you know, that kind of diving. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's what paid how, you know, it pays off. <laughs> yeah. Getting creative. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds a lot like diving in Santa Cruz half the time is like you're yeah. just, you're, your spear guns out in front of you because you're like, well, that's going to hit the reef of the sand before I can see it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Santa Cruz diving. I don't need, I don't need to see. I only need to be able to see in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, you got a bunch of 10 inches. So that's like the, I mean, the tens, the double digits is like the, like the, the coup de gras. It's like the thing going after abs, which, you know, we, we can't do anymore being endangered and this, you know, the fishery shut down, but you got yourself a nice sort of run of 10 inches too, didn't you? Yeah. I was able to, uh, you know, pull 11 tens before they closed everything down in the five years. And, you know, I think about how I felt when the season closed um, for guys that have been diving for 10, 20, 30 years, I'm sure <laughs> it was a real gut check. But, you know, I understand the situation. Um, it's unfortunate that it's come to this, and there's so many variables with yeah. the ocean and impacting certain species. And it seems when those variables start to cross paths, it becomes detrimental. And that really happened with the Abilene. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a super tricky one. It's so, it feels so good when you're out diving anywhere. And like in Santa Cruz, big surf for sure. And you're just kind of, you're just groveling in cracks looking for a, you know, a link cut or something. And you just see a slivery crack and you see a bunch of little tentacles, a bunch of shells in there, some abs just creeping around all safe and healthy. You know, it's so good to see that. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Um, Santa Cruz has a healthy population of abalone for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's so rad to see. It really is. A while back, Merritt and Ethan Perlin, two young brothers who founded Crepit, came on the podcast to do a stoked Grom Stories episode with me. Their story is way awesome. And since they've continued to grow Crepic with rad new gear, my favorite beach workout hat is the Mesh Camo Crepic hat. And they also donate a portion of their proceeds to Pacers National Bullying Prevention Center to help prevent bullying and cyberbullying for kids and teens in the U.S. Check them out at livecrepic.com and use the coupon code OCEAN20 to get 20% off any purchase. While you're at it, keep your gear secured on the road or at sea with monster straps. My favorite straps from Mile 22, my personal friends and makers of innovative gear for ocean sports enthusiasts. Monsters are purpose-built for prone paddle boards, SUPs, outriggers, and big wave guns. Learn more at mile22.com. Enter the coupon code TOL15 for a cool 15% off your purchase. So then... You got totally obsessed, as you mentioned, on abs for a bit. That dried up. And then it sounds like you kind of t you picked up the spear gun to kind of pursue, continue pursuing, you know, the hunt underwater. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd gotten to spear, you know, spear fishing while ab diving. You know, I had my board, I had my gun with me, but I was really focused on the abs. Um, and when that shut down, I, you know, just picked the gun up and kept with it. Uh, you know, I, I've tried to hone in on multiple species and think about, you know, what's most available, try to be uh, as conscious about my take as possible when on the reef. You know, you can pull there's every dive. I can probably pop a string or a fish. But, you know, you think about, all right, well, I want to come back. I know there's pressure here. 
I want my son to come here in 10 years. So mm-hmm. you three instead. And, um, you know, I'll freeze fish, but I'm not, you know, stacking up the freezer kind of thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So then day to day, I mean, would you keep going up to the north, north, north coast of California? Did you kind of just stick, stay here and, and, you know, sort of northern centralish California for your spearfishing? Yeah, it was hard to justify the long jaunts of six, seven hours north uh, yeah. after they closed the season. So, you know, I was diving a lot between Bodega, um, all the way up, you know, to Elk, to Mendocino, to Fort Bragg. But when the season closed, I really kept local. Um, and I still spearfish, you know, here year round when I could, because, you know, with young kids, you know, in 2013, when I got certified a month later, my first son was born. He's now seven. I've got another boy. Um, you know, my first was Conlon, another boy, Zeke, who will be two in August. So, um, the, the quick three hour missions to the west side of Santa Cruz is actually how I spend the majority of my time. Yep, totally. It's really hard to sort of vaporize for like eight hours to go down to Big Sur or Carmel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it comes back around though. Like I tell you, man, like my kids are in their teens now and they, you know, they, they, they don't need me as hardly at all anymore. So it's like, all right, I, Hey, I'm out of here for half the day. See you guys. <laughs> so it comes back. Don't worry. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> so then, I mean, what do you, what are you shooting with these days? What's your, what do you, what's your gun quiver looking like? Yeah. So I've got a wide array and, you know, before the old uh, coronavirus pandemic, I had big plans, you know, going to the islands, et cetera. But uh no i've got a good hole hunting gun uh it's called the jbl uh elite the 29 incher little two bander but uh, yeah. i tie my own bands and rig my own stuff so this is nice this hole hunter. and then i've got um the rod allen tuna the 70 centimeter it's a good reef gun um you know those guns are cheap they're durable they don't break people say they're made of plastic but they're actually made of kevlar mix so it's pretty sweet and then I got a nice 36-inch uh, mid-handle by Captain Bly Spear Guns. He's out of Santa Cruz, or not Santa Cruz, San Diego. Um, and he makes an excellent, you know, teak guns. Um, this thing is an all-around excellent reef hunter. You can hole hunt with it. Um, you can cover the sand. You can make some open water shots. Uh, and then I got two bigger guns, a 90 Rob Allen Carbo. Uh, it's got 14 millimeter bands and a lighter shaft at six and a half millimeters. So it's pretty oh, cool. Nice. And then um, same guy, Captain Bly, built me a 55 inch three band enclosed track mid handle, which I am hoping to get down to the islands or abroad and shoot some bigger fish one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. That's for the, the big, the big game. Yeah. So. Uh, no, I'm just being patient. When the opportunity presents itself and I'm able to connect with a larger fish, I'll be stoked and, you know, it'll be a great time. Oh, yeah, totally. I've got a Rob Allen 120 that I bought five years ago that I've never shot anything over. You know, it's like a legit sea bass or yellowtail gun, you know, um, yeah. but I've never I've never even had a chance to line line up on one of those guys yet. But I've got it sitting there kind of hey, collecting dust. You right? know what, we'll have to break <laughs> these guns in together, man. That's right. Oh, that'd be killer, man. That'd be totally killer. And so, like, you know, when, when we bumped into each other down, you know, down in Carmel, Big Sur, which is, you know, just just incredible. I mean, I'm just curious to get kind of your take on the last few years of, of diving down there. Um 
what have you kind of noticed with just the population or abundance of fish? Have you noticing a ch- change, less, same? Like, what's your kind of just general gut on that? Yeah, you know, some of these areas have been hit pretty hard by the urchins. You can tell. Um, yeah. I mean, it just eats away a lot of the cover. You take away the cover, you're taking away, you know, the smaller species are bringing, you know, drawing the larger species. So, yeah, you know, I'm not a big expert on that area. Um, I've been diving it for a couple, you know, quite a few years, but um, I, you know, I've seen a lot, you know, less fish in those areas. And that's one of the reasons I really, you know, enjoy Santa Cruz because there's different structure throughout the bay that, you know, bring some positives to one side and some negatives to the other. So I don't know what it is, but it seems that throughout from the aquarium around the horn to Carmel, because of that deep water uh, trench, that upwelling, whatever it may be, you know, those areas are getting hit with this uh, urchin barrens much harder. Yeah. And when I, when I dive Santa Cruz, I mean, I'd have to look hard to find an urchin. Yeah, it's not there. And it's that shallow continental slope and the way the structure is and coming out of the SoCal hole, et cetera. But it's just interesting to me that there's such a significant difference. And the same happens up in Mendocino and those areas on the North Coast that have been hit by, you know, um, these urchins. They have very similar structure um, and water shift and changes that the same as Carmel. Um, Yeah. Yeah, man. it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. You know, I've had a few people on, uh, scientists, like legit guys who do know what they're talking about. <laughs> you yeah. and I can kind of pontificate, but, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's interesting. It's like, you know, nature has a lot of seasonal cycles, not or beyond seasonal, just major cycles. These could be decadal cycles, you know, that could be monthly, et cetera. And, you know, it might just be, this all might go away. Those things might just overpopulate the urchins die off and then everything comes back or not. It's like, you know, it's just, yeah. Meanwhile, you know, those of us who just kind of, I mean, dream about clear water with sun filtering through kelp forests like us, you know, like yeah. it's kind of hard to find that. It's not as easy to find that, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Because there's less kelp. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, even on the North Coast, too, I've, I would say I saw a more significant ship up, shift up there in the Mendocino area. You know, yeah. I'll use a perfect example, a spot like Van Damme State Beach. When I first went there, 2013, 14, the place was a giant kelp bed. And within three, four years, there's no more kelp. None at all. Yep. yep. It's just uh, yeah. really bad to see. I know. It's gnarly. Super gnarly. So then kind of shifting a little bit towards, you know, that connection with the ocean, you know. And one of the things, too, and, you know, kind of in the notes you sent me on yourself and just other folks I know who have been in the military and finding just kind of solace, finding the ocean as a healing mechanism for folks who've been through heavy stuff, you know? And I mean, and for you, I mean, there's, there's like a couple of different aspects of, of the ocean and also spearfishing. Like you're a gear guy. I mean, the Marines, it's like, you got gear here, you got 4,000 <laughs> different pieces of gear. You got to have it all together. And there's an element of that's why, and I've got a weird gear guy too, not because I've been in the military, but because like, I love fishing. I love all the little tackle. I love all the little bits and pieces and same with, you know, optimizing your dive kit and all that kind of stuff, you know? So there's that side of the equation. The other side is just like losing 
normal reality, normal life by being in and under the water. So talk about both of those kind of for you and how they relate to your past and everything. Yeah, you know, it's um, that I think that was one of the draws right away was I realized the ocean was a place to call silent world. It's really not silent. It's actually very loud. <laughs> if you listen. Yeah, it's true. And you're wondering where the hell this noise is coming from. It's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no, it was just a place that I could go to escape, um, you know, fresh out of the military, going to college, you know, the kid, et cetera. Um, you know, my life shifted very quickly. And uh, the ocean was, to your point, that place of solace. I could go, I could escape. Um, you get in, uh, I call it like a daydream state where you're just uh, going through autopilot. Once you become comfortable with the ocean and you enter and you, you know how your gear feels, I mean, the second my face hits the water, it, I'm just, I go. I know where, where I'm going. I know what I'm looking for. Um, I'm on the pursuit, I'm on the hunt, but I'm also just exploring and ultimately just really enjoying myself. Um, yeah, that that's it, it just does it for me. And I haven't lost it since the first day I stepped in the water seven years ago. And I hope in 40 years, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And so being, you know, a veteran yourself here in town, there's you know, the Wounded Warriors program. Um, you know, which takes, takes guys surfing as a healing mechanism. Are, are you involved in any of that stuff as well? No, um, I know a couple of guys who have done, I think it's called Operation Surf. And um, no, uh, I'd that's say that's something. Yep, you're right. When I was at um, San Jose State, I was part of what's called the Veteran Student Organization. And, you know, one of the things I did was brought a lot of the veterans from the resource center there on campus together. Um, just trying to build that camaraderie that we felt while we were in the military. And I think it made a lot of folks, men and women, mm -hmm. more comfortable with the experience that we're going through. You know, you come out of the Marine, something like the Marine yeah. Corps, where the simplest thing of waking up and saying, what am I going to wear today is nothing that ever crossed your mind for 72 months. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, so Oh, you get out and you're like, wait, I have to dress myself. <laughs> I have to think about what I want to do with my wow. Someone else used to tell me, tell me that. And uh, it, you are hardwired that way at a boot camp through your time. And so you really have to make the mental adjustment. Um, and it's also like a lot of the social behaviors, social cues. Um, every other word out of a Marine's mouth is the, is the F word. So you got to really, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a lot of little things. And, uh, so one of the things I did was, um, you know, bring these vets from the San Jose, San Jose area over to Santa Cruz. And we did a couple barbecues at Seabright beach, you know, did a little boogie boarding and surfing. Um, honestly, I'm not a big surfer. Uh, I love watching the guys, you know, rip it up, get air, whatever they want to do, but it's just never been my thing. Mm -hmm. I, I figure if I was on a board, all I'd want to do is I'd be wondering why am I not down below? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Underneath it. <laughs> so it's just, um, you know, and, but for others, you know, it's a great, it's a great way to introduce people to the ocean. And I think a lot of people got a kick out of it and, you know, I've shared my experience like I am with you now with a lot of men and women and, um, if one of them was able to pick up something that helped them take the, another step in the, in the right direction, and so be it. That's that's what I was shooting for. 
That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Now you're also spending a lot of time, as you mentioned, you have two sons, wife and everything. And yeah. so you're getting your groms out in the water too, man. I saw, I see a picture fresh on Instagram of your son, <laughs> your oldest son who's seven with mask and fins. Looks like you're getting him out there and everything. So uh, what are you guys up to getting the kids ocean oriented? Yeah. You know, um, when I was going to school, I was home, you know, quite a bit. I was in class about two and a half, three days a week. My wife at the time was commuting to Mountain View to her job. And then when I wasn't in class, I was home with my son. And, uh, man, we would trek up to Anyo. We would time the tides. We would go, you know, snorkeling out in the tide pools when he was three, four years old. And then now, you know, where we're up in Felton, uh, right across from Henry Cow, it's an excellent area for a kid to grow up. Uh, they got the park, they got the woods, and then we go down to the river and practice our free diving, and he's all about it. So I figure that's how I was introduced into putting a snorkel in my mouth. You know, you're at the creek, you're looking at crawdads, and then, um, you know, that water, it'll get them prepped for Santa Cruz. <laughs> oh, that's right. He'll be, yeah, the cold be no problem for him. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. So he's, he's already tuned into it, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, he's... <laughs> He's pretty stoked. And, you know, it's one of those things where you don't want to push it. Um, you want him to become interested. And, and I've got that advice from so many guys um, about, you know, let your kid be yeah. interested. Bring him in the garage when you're working on your spear gun. Answer their questions when they ask them. Getting in the water. Um, but you're always got to find that happy medium. And I'm going to have to sacrifice some dive days in the future to get him used to it. But that's that's what you got to do if you want to get your kids. Yeah, up. man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, it's like, and I can attest that too. It's like, um, you know, it's like you introduce them, you help them, you set them up to have the opportunity to love it. Now they yeah. might not because they're their own person. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. can't force them to love it because if you force somebody to love something, they'll never love it. They'll just do it to make <laughs> you happy and you know, they'll be miserable, you know? So it's like, and yeah, it's just as gentle over time. It's like, dad, I'm cold. Let's go. You're like, okay. You know, okay, yeah, because yeah, don't yeah. push it. You know, uh, but yeah, it is, it is. And then at some point, you know, I remember when my both my, I remember the first fish, all my three of my kids shot. It was like, you know, it's better than any fish I've ever shot. Was seeing them like come up with that, like I did it, like you know, expression, you know, through their mm -hmm. goggles and everything, and like that made all the years of, oh, there's a big fish over there. I want to go dive. It's beautiful, but I can't. I should stay over with them. You know, I made all that worthwhile. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it'll, you know, I, I'm sure I'll, it'll be tough at times when it's flat calm and there's biz, but <laughs> you do what you got to do. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that's cool. That's awesome, man. Well, cool, Eric. Well, I'll tell you what, man, we got to find some time to get in the water. Um, I'm dying Absolutely. to get back down there. I haven't been down since I saw you a couple weeks back. I've been thinking about it and like these many plans I had to go just never materialized. Uh, so let's do it. Yeah. It, just, it was tough down there that day, actually. Um, there was a park ranger or somebody, um, you know, barking about park owners or whatnot. But uh, what's interesting enough is that area was out of um, the state park. So that's good. To know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That place is cool. I was, yeah, that day was interesting. Like, you know, I go down there and I'll dive. And that day I was like, ah, you, I mean, it's stupid. I'll admit it, but I do dive by myself a lot or else I wouldn't hardly dive at all. Cause you know, you can't always find a partner. Yeah, that's my me for being dumb. But so I decided to just hand line and fish, you know, and I was, you know, and I, I got that down pretty good. You know, I'm still diving. I got a lot to learn, but, uh, and did I hammered it so hard 
And I didn't get any lingcod, any cabazon. And I was even, I was getting to like 75 feet depth, you know, uh, drifting away. I mean, I had, it was weird. I just was really, that's kind of tied back to why I was asking about your thought on like the fish and the abundance you're seeing, you know, cause I was shocked. I didn't see any, anything big, you know, I got a couple of nice rockfish, but which I'm thankful for, but it was interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, I've really been trying to dial in and keep track of, you know, conditions. So for example, I remember Sunday, March 25th was an epic day here locally. There was mm. great visibility. And, you know, you dial in on what happened today that made it so good. You look at the barometric pressure, the wind direction, water temperature, um, surface temperature, you know, all of it. And you record it and you start to build patterns over time. And eventually you're like a meteorologist. You can start forecasting like, hey, I think this is yeah. going to open up. And then, you know, you get ready and pumped and you try to hit it when it's good. And, you know, I've been trying to do it for years and um, I still don't have it down, but I'm getting close. <laughs> That's awesome, man. No, I, I admire that tracking all that stuff, you know, and I'm bad at doing it. It's just more like I put my, you know, wet my finger and put it in the air and go, yep, I think it's going to be good. Let's go. And like, you know, sometimes it is and sometimes it's absolutely horrific, you know. Well, that's how, you know, so. it goes with kids too and then things is um, – you That's go right. in and I like oh, yeah. to spot in mine regardless of conditions. I know somewhere where I can get in the water. So That's where right. I saw That's you right. from those areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, cool, man. We'll make it happen. Um, definitely. So, but Eric, I wanted to say thanks for joining today and sharing everything, dude. And uh yeah, man, it's really fun, fun meeting you in the water and everything. Yeah, um, let's get out there and um, you know, the podcast is great, so keep it up. I'll keep listening. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, dude, for that. Those kind words and everything. And keep up the good work with your your groms and everything. And uh, yeah, man, we'll go slay some fish together. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.